chapter 12. The bruises and the wad of his own clothing was all that Dan had left. The men had stolen his girlfriend, her car, and unfortunately his wallet, phone, and backpack. He didn't even have his room key anymore. Leaving the room would mean not getting back in, and outside that door was a terrifying amount of nothing waiting for him. The shock of Laura missing hadn't settled in fully. His head was still throbbing as he dressed himself between fits of crying, slumped over the bathroom sink, drying his face with torn bits of toilet paper. The bathroom had the strong smell of Laura's shampoo. It made him sick with grief. He backed out of the bathroom in a stumble and walked on his heels into the desk just beside the bed. He sat down for a moment to catch his breath. A childlike, baffled puffiness swelled in his face while his lower lip came sliding out. He'd fucked up badly. Never had he imagined a situation like this. He had no idea what to do. Thinking about Laura and the truck and the men climbing inside it caused a blade to grow inside his chest and stab at his heart. The pain was so physical and real that vomit shot out of his mouth and nose, the hair on his head whipping through the air as he gagged and fell to his knees. Then as the pain in his throat subsided, he lifted his face from the floor. Dangling above his head with a pale plastic shine was the flesh-toned coiled housing of an old-fashioned phone cord. It led up into a drawer in the desk. Dan wiped his nose with the back of his hand and rose to his feet, calmly opening the drawer and finding an office-style phone with a vertical listing of speed dials along one side. There was room service, fire department, police, visitor information, and front desk. The phone was unplugged and wrapped in its own cords several times around. Dan felt a lot of emotions while lifting it from the drawer to inspect it. Emotions he couldn't put in order. Dan shook his head as he crouched beneath the desk and plugged the phone line into the outlet hiding near the floor. Then he sat up on his knees and put the receiver to his ear, punching the speed dial button for police. A sharp ascension of beeping tones sang loudly before the all-too-familiar female automated voice came on with her lifeless yet playful announcement of, I'm sorry, the number you have dialed is no longer in service. Please hang up and try again. Dan hung up and tried the fire department button, but got the same rejecting sound of beeps. The other buttons all followed this same pattern as well, until at last he was left with the final choice of front desk. For some reason, Dan was dreading this button. It was the little boy in him who didn't want to admit his mistakes. 
He didn't want to get himself into more trouble than he was already in, and figured the people running this hotel would not see his side of things. He had initiated the fight, and he wasn't smart enough to make up a lie to convince them otherwise. He suddenly smacked himself in the face with the phone receiver, as if his wrist and hand had gotten tired of watching him do nothing but think. The phone struck him considerably hard, directly in the temple. A sharp and lasting pain hung between his eyes, and the image of Laura being lifted into the truck came back horrifyingly clear. He could hear her whimpered screams as if she was sitting right in front of him. The strike to the head had worked. Dan pressed the front desk button, and the phone began to ring on the other end. Three long, dragging gurgles of electricity before a young female voice answered impatiently. Hello? she asked. Dan held his breath for a moment, not sure what to say. He brought a hand to his forehead and began to talk as calmly as he could without bursting into tears, snorting loudly between each word. Uh, yeah, he stuttered. This is room 107. There's been a problem, a bad problem. I need to contact the authorities immediately, please. There was a long silence on the other end. It sounded like the girl was holding the phone away from her ear. Then he heard her voice from far away, like she'd walked to another room and left the phone lying someplace. Very quietly, he could make out what she was saying. Grandma, the girl said, that guy is on the phone, the guy who smashed the paintings. Dan clamped his finger and thumb to the bridge of his nose and tried his best to prepare his next words. But rapidly a voice came on the other end, loudly directing itself into his ear. It was an older woman, shouting as if the receiver were broken on her end. Hello? she yelled. Dan faked a calm tone. Yeah, hi, he said. I'd like to contact the police department, please. The old woman barely gave him time to finish before interrupting him. Mr. Peterson, she said in an arc, if anyone should be contacting the police department, it's me. You had no right to destroy the artwork in your hallway. We don't appreciate vandals here at the Centerville Econo Lodge. And it is with managerial duty that I inform you that your visa account ending in 4432 has been charged the full amount for repairs to both the paintings and the walls, as well as a service fee and the charge for the extra night's stay you have apparently decided you owed yourself the luxury of by not checking out at nine, and instead sleeping on the floor and blocking the entrance to your room as reported by our cleaners. I won't mention more on what I heard of your missing attire as well. I want you out of this hotel as soon as possible. Dan could hear her chewing at her dentures, presumably waiting for an answer from him. He rose to his feet, 
clutching the phone tightly against his mouth. How did you know it was me? He shouted. Are there cameras? I need to see the tapes. They took Laura. They took my girlfriend. What did you see? The old woman started back up, this time while sucking on something that clicked and clattered in her teeth. Mr. Peterson, the room numbers are clearly labeled along the bottom right corner of the complimentary travel-sized irons issued to each room. The one you left in the hallway, below one of the pictures, the one you used to destroy our wallpaper, it was labeled just like all the others. Unfortunately, our video surveillance system is undergoing maintenance and was unable to record any of your unflattering antics. For your benefit entirely, I have taken it upon myself as manager of this hotel to not inform the authorities, but rather charge you accordingly and resolve the situation with your cooperation in checking out immediately. Dan began to shout in a panic against better judgment. They took everything. You have to help me, please. They took Laura. Surprisingly, the woman on the other end took his shouting rather patiently, but then began to hush him. Mr. Peterson, it's none of my business, but from what I can tell by your actions last night and your position on the floor this morning, it seems that the car you arrived in yesterday, plate number ending in Dan listened as she shuffled a few papers. Ending in UHM, it seems that vehicle has left the premises. Once again, not my business. But it seems a woman with the strength to drive after a night like you had would undoubtedly do it quickly before another altercation were to occur. None of my business, Mr. Peterson, but I assume your friend has left you here for better or worse. You have 30 minutes to gather your belongings and do the same by leaving for good. Then the old woman hung up on him. Dan held the phone to his ear for a moment longer, but then squeezed the whole device between his two hands and dropped it on the bed. He bent and tied the laces of his sneakers and ran out of the room and down the hallway to the stairs. He jumped down them and almost lost his balance on the lobby's tile floor. It was covered in standing mop water. He slid through it, making his way to the front desk, where the old woman and young girl were inspecting a few papers together in matching black photos. The old woman's silver hair was tied into a cobwebbed bundle at the top of her head. Her thick, round glasses magnified her old and tired eyes. She was white as a sheet and pencil-thin despite her engorged, sagging breasts that hung beyond her belt line. The old woman glanced up from her papers, not noticing Dan at first, but then quickly took a defensive cringe and pressed her shoulders to the wall behind her. Dan's entire face was torn apart and swollen black. His shirt was torn open and covered in hand smears of blood. Patches of his hair had been ripped from the root. 
He limped toward her with his arms out. This was the exact scene from so many of her grandchildren's digitized zombie shoot 'em up video games. Dan lunged for the counter, one hand reaching out, his blood-soaked mouth gaping open mindlessly. She thought to scream, but a thought flashed in her mind. No, Judith, don't scream. Stay in control. The voice in her head was her own, but stronger. It was the voice that got her out of bed each morning. It was the voice that helped her better strategize her game of dominoes. It was the voice that she had used on the phone with this vandal, Dan Peterson, from room 107. Now, just like in those silly video games, it was her who needed to strike first, before this zombie got too close to slash its long nails at her. First, she threw the stapled stack of papers at him. Then, blindly grabbing an armload of things piled on her desk, began hurling office supplies rapidly over the front counter as he approached, yelling in a tone she'd never heard herself use. Die, you fucker! A stapler, a few file folders, a calendar, and a donut. All of these items struck Dan in the chest and head with dead accuracy as he wobbled along the wet floor and failed to dodge her onslaught of thrown objects. The look of fear had left Judith's eyes, and now she looked more pleased, like she was about to win a big round of bingo. Dan shielded his face with both arms as she picked up a large plastic adding machine with dangerously sharp corners. But he shouted at her before she wound back to throw it. No, please, Dan pleaded. Stop. I'm Peterson. I just came to check out. Judith dropped the adding machine back on the desk. The look in her face changed to childish disappointment. Secretly, she'd wanted it to be a real zombie. Her voice deflated. Oh, she said. All right then, I guess. She turned and pulled a clipboard from the wall next to her and flipped through it casually, as if nothing had happened, barely regarding Dan as he leaned with both bloodied arms onto the counter. He was huffing and snorting. Dan's eyes followed her as she dawdled back and forth in the small confines behind the counter, picking up several pens before deciding which one was right to use licking a finger before turning each page, and even at one point, picking up the phone just to check the volume level of the dial tone before sliding him a single tiny yellow carbon copy receipt for him to sign. The total charge was well over anything that remained in his bank account. But it didn't matter at this point. He signed it quickly and handed it back to her. But when she reached to take it, Dan grabbed her by the wrist and stared her down with fire glowing in the swollen cracks of his eyes. His grip tightened as he pulled himself over the counter and brought his face close enough to bite her. Blood sprayed out of his mouth and landed on her face as he spoke through clenched teeth. You're going to tell me the name of that construction company, he said 
you're going to tell me who drives that big black truck. And you're going to do it now. His grip tightened even harder. Her hand went numb and she struggled for words and weakly whispered with scrambling eyes. CC, she stuttered. CC construction. The truck belongs to the contractor, a younger man about your age, I believe. Dan twisted her wrist and she let out a whine. Where do I find him? He yelled. The old woman's eyes began to tear up, magnified by the thick lenses of her glasses. It was as if he was physically squeezing the words from her. She yelped lightly in discomfort and jerked her arm, trying to free herself. The road, she cried. The road, I suppose. The construction goes on for miles around. He doesn't stay here at night, only comes to talk with the others and drink. He stays someplace most of the time, someplace south, I think. I don't know. The younger girl started crying from beneath the counter. She'd been hiding under there the whole time. The voice in Judith's head came back to her. This time it was shouting. Tell him the truth. She looked down at the papers on her desk and saw the invoice from the construction company from earlier that week. Their logo and address was stamped at the top. She motioned to the paper with her eyes and Dan reached over and picked it up and looked at it. There was a red swirl of cartoon piping with a toy-like cement truck in its center above an address. The rest of the page was filled with numerical jargon and dotted lines. But at the bottom, printed beneath a heavily angered scratch of a signature, was the simple, horrifying name. Caleb Caulfield. Dan folded the paper with one hand and shoved it into his back pocket, letting go of her arm and easing back onto his heels. You're going to call the police, he said, and you're going to tell them there's been a kidnapping. Tell them to find the contractor that drives that truck. But before the old woman could reply, Dan stepped out the front doors. He walked over to the nearest car in the lot and glanced inside. Then he moved around it to the next one looking in it the same way. Finally, down along the row of cars, facing a stand of trees near the back, he found what he was looking for. Inside a small red car with rusted wheels and a broken trunk was a purse lying on the passenger seat with a set of keys poking out of it. He tried the handle, but both the doors were locked. He ran back over to the front doors and hoisted an ornamental stone trash can from out of the bushes. He wobbled back to the car with it propped on his chest. Then he clutched it in both hands and drove its butt end straight through the passenger window, shattering it to bits. He threw down the trash can and reached inside, unlocking the door and grabbing the keys. He got in behind the wheel spun the car around, jumping the curb. 
Now he was headed south on a road he did not know the name of, leaving Centerville behind and clutching the wheel with blood-soaked hands while staring into the distance at the dark, towering line of trees that would soon swallow him alive.